just want to remind you kind of of the format for this morning. Um, we will have two speakers, so this will be kind of a continuous uh, meeting with a break from 10 to 10.30. Um, basically, uh, we've asked for these guidelines that there not be, we'll have the speaker and then we'll break up and stay here. So it's healing resentments and forgiveness. I think that's one we're all looking forward to. And um, so I'm looking forward to hearing from Greg from Pennsylvania. Welcome. Greg. I'm a recovering codependent, a grateful member of Al-Anon. I uh, usually tell people uh, in meetings that I've been going to Al-Anon for a pretty long time. Um, started in 1988, <clears throat> but uh, some people go to the fountain of knowledge to drink and others just to gargle. And uh, I was a gargler for a good number of years. Um, I date my recovery now to February 16, uh, 1999. So uh, I'm sort of a newcomer, sort of an old newcomer. Uh, but I need to tell you that because I don't want to kind of come up here and uh, sort of act like I've been in recovery for a long time. I have, but I haven't. I've really started a new one. Um, and I don't know whether that's because I didn't get it the first time or because I got sick again, and I won't bother trying to figure that out. The uh, topic this morning is about uh, resentment and anger. and. Uh, uh, forgiveness. It's a lot of topic. Um, I did want to talk uh, a little bit uh, about the word first and starting with resentment. I just wanted to, to do something with the word. I was thinking about this, this topic. Uh, it struck me that the root of the word is pretty clear. Uh, I don't think any of us have trouble with sentiment. It means feeling. I think the root is sense. I think it has something directly to do with a feel. And re means to do it again. Um, it struck me, you know, when I was when I was thinking about resentment that we we it means that I will take this pain and I will just feel it over and over again. It's like repeated anger, it's like repeated hurt. There's a story that I'd like to just look at briefly about that I think can help us look at, helps me look at resentment. And uh, you'll probably recognize this story from another source, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not going to use the original uh, one that, uh, that I know of. I'm just going to change it because it's really a story of an American, it can be the story of an American family and a story of family dynamics and the story of all of us, really, I think. So I'm going to ask for your help to make this a, a relevant current story instead of an ancient one. Uh, give me a family name. Smith. The Smith family. The well-to-do family. They have a family business, and that would be... Printing business. Thank you. So the Smith printing shop. 
And uh, just give me a couple of male names because there are a couple of boys in this story. Tom and Ted. All right, thank you. So the Smith is well-to-do. Since they were in that order, I'll say that's the age order also. So Tom and Ted living in the Smith family. Pretty well off. The printing shop is doing well. Lots of employees. And uh, at one point, uh, Ted decides, well, uh, we're really doing well and there's a lot of money in the family. I'm going to ask my father to give me some of the money so that I can go off and do my own thing. And uh, he does. He gives him uh, quite a bit of money and uh, Ted goes off and spends it. Spends it. Um, <clears throat> It sounds like maybe he was an addict because he spends it kind of carousing and uh, drinking and uh, uh, finding, trying to find some artificial ways of feeling good and having pleasure. But he spends all the money, and the and the, and the upshot of this story is, without going into too much detail, that he that he finds himself without means and decides, I better I better go back home. Maybe I can get a job in the print shop because they're doing pretty well and uh, the people that work in the print shop seem pretty happy and it's certainly better than I'm feeling right now. So I'm going back. So he goes back. Mr. Smith sees him and says, my God, I'm so glad you're home. We're going to close the print shop for today and we're going to have a party. Calls the caterer and brings in the food. Now Tom <laughs> is working in the back and he says, what's going on? And Dad says, well, it's wonderful news. Ted's home, and we're going to have a party. So wash your hands, and uh, let's go Let's go have a party. And Tom says, well, wait a minute. You are not going to have a party for him. He took the money and screwed up. I've been standing in the back here doing the print, printing for the last X number of years, and I don't want him to have a party. So Dad, Mr. Smith says, well, Look, this, this place is yours. It's mine, but it's yours, and, and, and everything I have is yours, and you don't have to worry about that, but I just want to be happy that Ted is home, and I want to celebrate that, and that's what I want you to do. Come and, come and join us. So the celebration begins, but Tom is really not able to join in. Now, the reason I wanted to tell that story is because I'd like to ask you a few questions about it. What prevents him from joining in the celebration? Anger and resentment. What holds him back from feeling gratitude that his brother is restored? He's jealous. He's angry. He's been doing all the work. The resentment of Tom it's very interesting and it causes me to look more carefully at the nature of resentment and why we experience it. Al-Anon teaches us to look inside to find out why we feel this way. And I don't think that the elder son is resentful because of Ted's behavior. I don't think that Tom is resentful because of what Ted did. I don't think he's resentful because of the fact that his father is happy. I think he's resentful because he's been resentful for a long time. And now we're seeing it today. <clears throat> he's resentful because he's done 
what he may not have wanted to do, possibly for the wrong reason. And he's resented it. He's been a faithful, he's been doing what's expected, and he resents it. And now this resentment is preventing him from participating. Now he feels, I should be compensated for what I had to give up. And instead, there's another celebration going on. The question is, what did he give up? And why did he give it up? My learning and my growing in recovery is teaching me that my resentments almost always come from something that I did or I didn't do. There was a boundary that I couldn't set. Or there was a response that I couldn't give directly. There was an action for which I may harbor guilt, but I might blame on someone else. And my behavior is almost always the source of my resentment. There's a healthy choice I didn't make somewhere in, in this. As I thought about this uh, topic in preparation for today, uh, I have this strong image and I like to I have these images I like to use them sometimes for my recovery. The image of this resentment in, for me is I picture myself standing inside a battlement, inside a stone fortress, an old one. And standing up on the battlement inside the stone wall, lobbing arrows with a longbow out there at them. And I suppose you, you might say that I'm saying with each arrow, you SOB. You hurt me. Over and over again, climbing up on my battlement, whenever I think of this hurt, pull out my quiver of arrows and focus out there. But I need to ask, why do I project it out there? What did I do or what did I not do that leads me to this re-sentimenting or this re-feeling of this hurt, this doing over? It feels like the redoing is really finally supposed to lead me to be able to give it to someone else. That's why I think I need to redo it. I'm finally going to figure out how to give it to them. But it, it never worked, because I, I know in my heart it's mine. I have to explore my past behavior to find this source. I think the elder son in this story helps me to see this in myself. Uh, he did what he thought was the right thing, but he resented it. I think I see myself in this in this person I see the source of a lot of my resentment in this whole process and setting boundaries and making amends and naming and expressing anger directly are the tools that I need to heal this. This, this sentiment, this re-sentiment, this projection out is pretty self-destructive, but it's what I know. It's what I've come to know to do, and so I do it really without thinking. Having talked a little bit about resentment, I wanted to talk just a little bit about healing. And healing is uh, also an old word. If we look at it, Carefully enough, 
we can easily see that it's related to health. Healing and health are very close. In fact, we could coin the term helping if we wanted to, but that's probably one of the words that healing was shortened from somewhere back in time. And the word heal is from an old English word, hail, which means whole. It means whole. It means finding wholeness, finding completeness. This idea of becoming whole reminded me of a story uh, that was told by Jerry Groper at a retreat weekend that I was at. don't think Jerry's here. We don't have time to tell his story, but it's about a circle. Anybody ever hear that story? The circle. It's kind of like a Pac-Man looking circle because the circle is missing a piece. I actually made it as a whole circle and I shouldn't have, but a piece of it is missing. And the story goes on how the circle rolls and bumps along and how it tries to find a piece to fill that up. And I won't go into the story right now, but the stone really wanted to become whole. The circle wanted to become whole, and in order to do this, ultimately, it had to learn that it had to go inside and find what was missing, not look for it outside. It had to look inside and it had to grow by doing that. And my recovery has led me repeatedly to understand that in order to grow and progress, I really do have to become familiar with my hurts, my pain. I have to explore the feelings that I have that are associated with the wounds that are important to me, to identify that. I have to share openly and intimately with someone about what I find when I go inside to find this information. And it's important that I feel those feelings and that I understand and acknowledge what it is that I'm feeling and that I say it to someone. Naming events and feelings. It's important that I take it and say it or write it. And this helps me to bring the pain out, out. And when I'm really able to be in touch with my feelings and when I'm talking to someone who's really important enough to help me, it really is like I'm able to open my mouth and let it come out. That's a wonderful feeling because it feels like, well, it feels like opening up and flowing. And I have a strong sense then of feelings flowing out and then I can experience a relief of the tight feeling that I call feeling jammed up. But that's a feeling that signals me that there's some feelings that I need to look at, that I need to know about. And this, this knowing and naming and saying of my feelings is necessary if I want to heal, if I want to move on from my pain. Before I was in recovery, I rejected pain. I avoided it. And uh, I refused to let it touch me. I used denial and projection mostly to avoid it. I told myself that really doesn't matter that much. And it really didn't hurt. I was not really hurt by this. And as a result, the pain became chronic and the anger became rage, which I then needed to control. I turned increasingly to caretaking behaviors that were based on my sensitivity to how others were feeling 
because I no longer had any idea of what my feelings were. I had to stay out of there. When I looked in the big book to review information on resentment, I took a look at uh, note of several things. One thing is that I, I felt this was very significant. They list little emotion in parentheses in the big book beside, beside the uh, emotions that are listed there, uh, beside some of the issues that are listed there. And the emotion that's listed beside nearly all of the resentments in the example in the big book is not anger who's fear it's fear that's the one that just all these different situations and all these different resentments but then once the parent decided it's always fear it's really interesting fear is related in some way to anger for me almost always and uh, fear is behind my anger most of the time and it's hard it's not it's important to try to examine what it is I'm afraid of And most of the time it involves being afraid of looking stupid in some way. As a male in this culture, I think one of the hurdles I have to overcome in recovery is that my early male training told me that in response to a real or perceived threat or slight, it's essential that I make an aggressive response. Action must be answered by action. That's also a control issue. Something I'm supposed to do about this. I can't let that happen. I had a dream recently that helped me understand this. How are we doing now? <clears throat> the dream was, this is a very short dream. It won't take me long to describe it to you. I'm driving in a car. There are some men in the room here. If you pay attention to dream content, do you find yourself in a car a lot of the time? I mean, I do. And, and they're real cars from my real life, you know. Like during this period of time, I drove that car. But I was driving in this car on a highway. We must be doing about 60 miles an hour, driving along with a loved one in the car beside me. And I'll, I'm sitting there driving, and I become aware somebody's passing me in the passing lane. Now it is a, it is a divided highway. So here comes this guy around me. But he's not in the car. This guy is on rollerblades. And he isn't working hard. He's like... He's like cruising. He must be going about 70, and I'm, I'm watching him go by. Now, this is a really sleazy character. He looks like a greasy guy. Long hair, wicked-looking shades, and T-shirt with some kind of thing on it that looks kind of ominous and blue jeans and rollerblades and he's just going you know. and I look up at him and I see him going by and about the time he gets to my front fender here he leans over and spits on my hood and then he goes and this is a real dream I'm giving you one of my real dreams and um, I'm driving and I'm thinking oh I gotta speed up and catch this joker, you know. I gotta do something. And then I thought, you know, this person in the car with me. It's a dangerous situation. It just felt to me like really getting into danger to go and follow this 
ominous looking guy and find out where I could catch up to him and what in the world was going to happen and, and I just understood somehow that's the end of the dream by the way the end of the dream was you're not supposed to go do that you're supposed to know that you don't have any control over that Alanon teaches me that the only person who can shame me is me and that actions taken by others can shame them but they cannot bring shame upon me and understanding me helps put the emphasis back where it belongs on me I just want to read part of the Alanon opening we uh, found this thankfully this morning I was trying to remember the wording and Somebody helped me this morning to uh, find it because we used this opening this morning. I'll just read the very last paragraph of the opening that we used this morning. Al-Anon is an anonymous fellowship. Everything that is said here in the group meeting and member to member must be held in confidence. Only in this way can we feel free to say what is in our minds and hearts because this is how we help one another in Al-Anon. One night, when I was struggling with painful feelings and I was coming to understand the value of naming and saying those feelings in this meeting, I was struck by those words when they were read in the opening. For this is how we help one another. By saying what's in our minds and hearts. I was struck by that. A friend of mine told me it's naming, claiming, and taming. I sort of don't like cliches, you know, but this is how we help one another and this is how I recover once I name it it loses some power and then when I claim it as mine it loses even more power to be hurtful to me and when I tame it I might even find a way to use some of that energy that it represented maybe even some of that powerful energy in the rollerblade guy but sounds really simple to talk about naming feelings and saying them but but that's how that's how I heal and that's how I find a way to let go of resentment how are we doing have a few minutes forgiveness is left so forgiveness is the third concept Forgive is a pretty interesting word. <coughs> In Old English. Those parts of the word up to say it's forgifon. The Old English word is forgifon. It means, well, gifon being to give. And the prefix is for. And what that really stood for is complete. For was the designated complete. To give completely is what it meant. Before I looked that up completely, I was going to say I thought it meant to give up, which is kind of the same thing. I give up. I give up completely. But I interpret this word to literally mean to give up completely. To give up what? To give up 
my resentment. I think in looking at forgiveness, it's important to identify what forgiveness is not and just go backwards just for a little bit. It's not accepting. Forgiving is not accepting. If your behavior is not acceptable to me and I have anger and resentment over it, if I forgive you, it's not the same as accepting the behavior, saying it's okay with me. It's not excusing. Excusing implies that there's an extenuating circumstance and it means you're not really responsible for it. Forgiving is not excusing. It's not tolerating or putting up with or condoning in a, in a passive way. It's not forgetting. I really think it's important that it's not forgetting. Because I tolerated inappropriate behavior for too long. Everybody's somewhere on the continuum and everyone in recovery has to move in some direction or other. Well, mine was to learn how to say no. Some people have to learn how to say yes. I learned how to say no. I had to learn how not to accept and tolerate inappropriate behavior. So forgetting is not good for me, but forgiving is. <clears throat> forgetting would mean I have no memory of that that is of any consequence to me, but I'd be lying if I said I could forget some things. Forgiving also is not a moral victory for the one who forgives. So what is forgiveness? I mean, I was going to warn you earlier, don't, don't take what I say as anything more than a grateful, codependent, sharing experience, strength, and hope. So I, uh, I'm just going to tell you what I think forgiveness is. Right now, at this point in my recovery, what I think it is. There's a choice. It's another one of the choices that Al-Anon tells us that we have. It's my choice to free myself from carrying and acting on this hurt over and over again in my mind. It's my choice to stop re-sentimenting or re-feeling it. I don't have to wait to make this choice. I don't have to wait until I feel warm and fuzzy toward you. And I don't have to wait until my pain is completely gone. I can choose forgiveness in the midst of pain because it's really to free myself from resentment. Forgiving does not mean I'll remove the boundaries that I have set. It might mean this, but, but not necessarily. The example that I came to my mind in this was that my sponsor, well, a, a friend in Al-Anon, has a family member who has a history of uh, sexual abuse at the hands of her father. And later in his life, when he was getting sick, he asked for forgiveness. And she had a real struggle with that. And we talked about it. And she chooses to remain apart from him, to not be in his life anymore. And, that, and she's not going to change that, but she can choose to forgive him, but not let him be with her children or grandchildren, not share holidays with him, not re-enter and be part of his life. And it's hard for her, but she can forgive if she explores those feelings without breaking down her appropriate boundaries. 
there is in resentment some wish for revenge in my in, in me. When I have resentment, there's part of it is a wish for some revenge. I, I talked this over with a recovering friend of mine and he said it's justice. <laughs> but I don't know if it's justice, it's revenge. Some aspect of a wish to hurt back. There's an unspoken belief in this. If you look at it carefully, it says something like this. I hurt while you do not. And I think I would feel better about my hurt if you hurt also. I don't really know whether you hurt or not but I think you don't, like I do. And the wish for revenge is one of the things I'm going to have to give up when I forgive. I must let go of it. But I first have to own it. I have to know that I have this wish for revenge. I had lunch recently with a very dear friend. His name is Jasper. Some of you might know him. He's an elderly physician, pathologist, who's of Chinese heritage, Jasper Chen Si. And uh, he took me to lunch in Reading. Restaurant. So he took me down into Reading to this little not great section of this little Vietnamese restaurant. And it's a wonderful place. And some of you might know Jasper, but he's just so without pretension that this is the place he wanted to take me to. We sat down at this table and this woman came over, this Vietnamese woman, and she took our order. And I remarked to Jasper when she left the table how nice and kind she was, how pleasant she was. And he said, yes. Isn't it amazing that these people can forgive us? And that's Jasper, you know? He'll throw something in on your right when you're just getting ready to order lunch. <laughs> and he said, they must forgive in order to be able to live. And, and then he talked about Holocaust survivors, and he said, they must give up their resentment so they don't die. They can't live with that much anger in them. That's really true. I think we're supposed to understand that forgiveness is not for the forgiven, but for the forgiver. The one who forgives is freed from carrying the heavy baggage of, of resentment. I wanted to, this has nothing to do with anger and resentment, but I was looking through uh, this book, uh, before I came, and this is Conference Approved Literature. Uh, it's called Al-Anon's Favorite Forum Editorial. It's kind of an old book. I was looking through it just because I was thinking about Al-Anon and looking for thoughts and things. And this came to, uh, I came to this and I just wanted to share it with you. It's my closing for this. Uh, so let me just share this with you. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna editorialize a few words. It won't be verbatim. A. A. Milne wrote a book about a bear called Winnie the Pooh. And at one point in the adventure, Pooh had promised to write a poem for Piglet. The poem was to be about how heroic Piglet was. Piglet was expecting a poem about his heroism. And Pooh was not coming up with it. And he said, Pooh, Pooh is quoted here as saying, but it isn't easy. Because poetry and hums, if you remember, please to make up hums, the more it rains, double become, the more it comes, remedy time. Remember those poems? The more it goes on snowing or blowing or whatever it was he was talking about. But he says, but it isn't easy because 
Poetry and hums aren't things which you can get. They're things which get you. And all you can do is go where they can find you. So Pooh waited hopefully to see what happened, and a seven-verse poem happened, which he supposed had never been heard of before, not at least in the house of Pooh Corner. And the editor of this book, uh, not I, but the editor pointed out that that's a lot like Al-Anon, because Al-Anon is a thing that gets you, and all you need to do is go where you can find it, and then sooner or later it will get you and it would become your your help. I just think it's really important for me to say uh, in closing that I believe that uh, saying what's in our minds and in our hearts is how we heal and it's how we help one another now and on. Thank you. <laughs>